Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. Hello everyone, this is Shannon and I am here today with an author interview and of course your guide to this week's new releases. So we are going to start out with an interview that I conducted um, several weeks ago with author Caitlin Ware about her debut novel entitled The Damage, which is a very twisty thriller if you love psychological thrillers and all sorts of complex interpersonal relationships. I highly recommend this. So we are going to get right into the housekeeping information followed by the interview, and then I will talk with you about this week's new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am talking with Caitlin Ware about her novel, The Damage, and this was released in the U.S. on June 15th. Caitlin, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Shannon. You are very welcome. I would love to start out with a brief introduction to The Damage so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what to expect. Yeah, so um, The Damage is about a family essentially in crisis after one of the family members has been sexually assaulted. And so um, the, the main character ultimately is um, a woman who is married to a man named Tony. So the main character is Julia. She's married to a man named Tony and it's Tony's younger brother, Nick, who is assaulted. And um, a fourth character, a detective, kind of enters the scene to investigate the crime as the family kind of um, reels essentially in the wake of the assault. And Nick is trying to um, deal with what's happened, recover, and his brother is trying in his mind to help, but they have, um, his brother has a really parentified relationship with him and is really overbearing and is kind of not doing anything that Nick wants him to do. But Tony becomes more and more obsessed with what's happened to Nick and wanting revenge. The justice system is crawling on really slowly. And Julia starts to worry that her husband's going to do something. And meanwhile, the whole book um, 
a conversation is happening between the detective and Julia in the future um, about something that has happened. And the reader doesn't really know what, all they know is that Julia is really not happy to be there talking to the detective. And he's kind of playing out, wanting to recap everything that has happened. And so that's kind of the structure of the novel. So I'm gonna start out just like really heavy here. Um, so I will say yeah. that if you are sensitive to discussions of sexual assault, you might want to skip ahead a bit. Um, but I wanted to say that I was really intrigued by your decision to write about a male who was sexually assaulted, because although we know in you know real life that men do get sexually assaulted, it's not something that we usually see in books. And so I thought it was a really excellent decision to, to kind of feature that here. And I'm wondering what went into that for you. Yeah, so it was actually that the idea for the story was originally just this idea of what would it be like if you were married to someone who was just like your dream partner and they started to kind of devolve, but it wasn't like they were cheating on you or they were secretly a sociopath or like some of the other oh, things. That's you good. <laughs> yeah. Instead, it was like they really loved a sibling and something had happened to that sibling and it just kind of rocked them and set them on this course that now you were kind of afraid of them. Um, hmm. Not in terms of, of your own safety, but what they were going to do. And that yes. was really the idea that I had. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to write about a younger sibling being victimized in some way, I didn't know yet what I was going to write about. Um, I was like, I'm just kind of tired of reading female victims so much. So I'm just going to make it a brother. And then it was later on that I was trying to decide what kind of crime to write about. I decided I did think I wanted to write about sexual assault. And so I said, well, I'm just going to write about a male being sexually assaulted then. And it was actually like, I didn't think it through completely in terms of how much people have really responded to what I ended up writing about. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I did. It just took a lot of work, obviously. But um, I think it was, I think it was the right call. It seems at least like, like it was the right call. I think it really was. You know, I think we all kind of look sometimes to see ourselves in in books, at least in in some way. And even yeah, if yeah. you don't necessarily want to be, you know, the character in the book who was sexually assaulted, um, yeah. you know, which obviously nobody's like seeking that out. It's yeah. still, I'm guessing, would be very refreshing for someone especially if it's someone who has experienced something similar or had that experience in their family to sort of see that represented on the page in a way that at least I don't think I have ever like seen it really delved into in the way that you did here. Yeah. And I'm at the point where I've already had the ability to have some readers like reach out to me. And it seems like male readers are, are liking the character and are liking the story. And I think what I had been worried about going into it is just kind of like, when does sexual assault have any place being in a book that's like a fictional book for entertainment? And what when, when you decide to write about someone that is going to be a victim in a story, like, how are you going to do it in a way that treats them like really empathetically and am I going to be able to do that if I'm writing about 
a man instead of a woman. Like it was just a lot of different things that, and the character is also gay and straight. So it was just, it was a lot of different stuff that I was like, is what I'm doing. Okay. Like I really want to do it well, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to do it well. And so, um, I think ultimately so far the feedback I'm getting is that, um, that it's, it was a good story. Um, and that, people are responding to the character really well, but it was just something that I don't even know how much time I spent thinking about it as I worked on the drafts and kept deciding, okay, no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this for right now. I'm going to, I'm going to keep working on this. And each draft I was like, nope, okay. I'm, I'm still, I'm still going forward with it. And so, um, yeah, but that was, it worked (laughs) so so well. It was super compelling. Um, when I finished reading it, I, I told my partner that she absolutely like needed to pick it up um, yeah. you know, as soon as she could because it was it really was compelling and not not just like Nick's side of it, but just the story mm-hmm. as a whole and kind of how in a lot of ways, like he was kind of a, a pivotal character and we got to see sort of how what happened to him affected his brother and his brother's wife and then you know the investigator and I just thought that it was something that you don't really see and I feel like when you're writing sort of a like a family drama that's also kind of a thriller like in a way it's Mm -hmm. it's so hard to find something that is really unique because obviously you know people have been writing these for a long time and I just really thought that the damage like touched on some very necessary issues some very timely issues and things that just are not always represented Mm, thank you you're welcome that makes me me happy (laughs) (laughs) so you know we have these conversations about how it is to write a story that that isn't necessarily ours to tell and as you know, I, I identify as lesbian and have for about half of my life. Mm-hmm. And I've never really given a ton of thought to like, you know, should straight people write in sort of the, you know, from the point of view of a gay character. But I'm wondering, as you did that, like, did what did you do to sort of make sure that you were inhabiting Nick in a way that felt authentic and and you know trying to write a character who was as authentic as possible yeah so I guess I would say like early drafts I didn't do anything too particular besides just try to think of him as like this is how I saw him like I his original um first chapter was a lot longer than it is now um because I was trying to let the reader see just like what he was like as of person before this mm-hmm. um, traumatic event happened that was going to really change the way that he acted for the rest of the book. And so I really just kind of thought of him in that way and was writing kind of when you were a college student and you really have a crush on someone and they clearly don't like you that much. And like, like his whole relationship with this guy, Chris, that he thinks he's going to meet that night. Yes. So I was really just kind of thinking of him as a young person and not really doing much else outside of that. Um, but definitely as the book went on and I wrote more drafts, um, I did have 
someone that I'm close with, who's a gay man. I, I gave him a copy of the book and I also had some long talks with him. And once I started realizing how much sexual assault impacts um, many men's views of themselves in terms of like their masculinity, I was like, oh. can you talk to me about, yeah. So I was like, can you talk to me about like masculinity as a gay man and knowing that he could only speak as one person, but we sure. had those kinds of conversations. And um, then I also, you know, over the, I was working on this book for three years, probably between when I started it and was totally done editing it. And so I read lots of different books in that time. And a couple of them were written by gay men. Um, and one of them actually was, um, I hadn't even known it existed. And then once I sold the book, someone said to my agent, this reminds me of the book is called um, History of Violence. And it's by a French novelist named Edouard Louis. And I might've just mispronounced his name, um, but I read his novel and it was, it's like a novelization of his actual like truthful sexual assault by a man that oh. he meets one night. And so I didn't change anything about what I had written, but it, it definitely helped me understand kind of and see what he experienced in his case. Um, and I read some other pieces, I guess, like that. Mm -hmm. And then maybe one other thing was um, when we were really close to done editing, my um, publisher hired a what he calls himself a sensitivity reader. I know yes. some people might call themselves an authenticity reader. I think there are different terms. Um, but this man read the novel um, solely from the perspective of being a gay man. It, he wasn't reading it for the sexual assault aspect of the novel. Right. Um, but he, his name is Clarence. He was fine with me um, thanking him for that in the acknowledgments. And so he gave us really thoughtful feedback about the book too. And he was just, he read the entire thing. So it was kind of like, even things that I might have written in a different chapter, he would, he would kind of be looking for that throughout the entire book, if that makes sense. And so it does. Um, yeah. And I think, I think, so I, I would say that I did some work or I asked other people, um, to, to do that. And, or my publisher, I guess, like hired someone, you know, but mm -hmm. I guess I also saw it as I'm asking people for their, their help or their feedback, but ultimately it is mine to own if it yes. goes out there and people don't like it, you know? And so, um, but, but that is stuff that I did do. And I think other authors can definitely do if they're interested in trying to write a character that they just don't really know a lot about what their life experience might be like. We hear a lot about sensitivity readers in terms of like racial identity and disability identity. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that it was something that your publisher thought to do from yeah. the aspect of someone who is a different sexual orientation from the author. Yeah. I think that that is also something really worth exploring, you know, for authors and really understanding that like, I am a, a white, you know, cis lesbian woman, and you may be, you know, a white straight woman, for example, but yeah. our life experiences are, you know, very different because of the way, like, I identify and, and you know, who yeah. I've chosen to spend my life with. Yeah. And I think often that's difficult for just, you know, sort of straight people to conceptualize and fully inhabit as they're creating a character so I yeah. love 
that you had um, that sort of extra feedback from someone who was looking at it, like specifically as your character, um, you know, might've seen it. Yeah. And I, I was so glad that they wanted to do that. And I, I'm so glad that my publisher, that was my U S publisher that decided um, that they thought that would be a good idea as well. And something else that I'm thinking of while we were talking is that earlier drafts of the novel, I was actually a little bit afraid to be in Nick's shoes, the further the novel Uh, went on. uh And so he, um, he had fewer and fewer chapters as the novel went on. And actually I'm remembering I, so the way that kind of publishing works sometimes is that things can get ahead of themselves. And so while I was still editing the novel, a movie director had it (laughs) and was curious about it and was talking to me about it. And he shared with me that he was a gay man. And he, we were talking about, we actually kind of became friends and talk every now and then. And um, he was like, I want more of him and he's great. And you're doing a great job, write more of him. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like I can do it. Okay. You're right. And so he kind of gave me a little bit of courage to, to write Nick much more strongly at the end of the book. Um, and he was, he probably came in. I had maybe a year left of editing. Ah, okay. Yeah. So he was, and, and cause I think that that's the other thing that you have to you have to watch out for if you're being too afraid to write the character that you've chosen to write, you end up making them um, two-dimensional because you're not right. And really writing them. Right. <laughs> and I think I was really at risk of doing that. And it was um, this man being like, no, no, you can do it. <laughs> Finish what you started. And, um, and that was really huge for me. This is like such a deep and and heavy subject, um, especially for a debut novel. And and I just I love how well, um, you know, you you pulled it off and how it it feels like you read it. And I'm not thinking like, oh, you know, this is someone's first book. So we'll just sort of like overlook, you know, this thing and that thing. Like it was (laughs) it was so so well done and, and so compelling in terms of both plot and character. And I just, I can't wait to see what else you might have in store for readers. Thank you. Are, are you asking welcome. me? <laughs> well, I could ask you, you know, it, it is usually a, a thing that I attempt to uh, sneak in there. So yes, yeah. if you would like to say anything about what you're currently working on, I would be very, very happy to hear it. So I, I promise I am working on something. If you can tell oh, by good. how long-winded I was when I like described what the current book is about, I am like useless when I try to talk about what I'm working on. <laughs> but what I can say is I, okay. So what, what I think I can say is I've got another lawyer character. Um, I'm super comfortable writing those cause I'm a former lawyer. Um, and Ooh. this time, um, I think that the book is going to include a trial that is maybe going to stay in the book and you're going to be learning what is happening at the trial. So I might be doing something somewhat similar structurally in the sense of using two different time periods to play off of each other for Uh tension. And um, I think that there will be a trial 
and what is happening at that trial, you will eventually learn who has done something bad and what's going to happen. <laughs> and, and yes, what they have done and how it occurred. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of what it's about, I just like, can't even that like, it's okay. not even, I don't want to, I'm incapable <laughs> to describe what it's about. <laughs> Two of my very favorite sort of trial books um, mm-hmm. are Jillian McAllister's The Good Sister and Angie Kim's Miracle Creek and both of those sort of do that kind of structural thing that you're talking about where the trial spans the book and then as you're seeing glimpses of things in the trial you're also Mm -hmm. going back in time to when the actual event um, occurred yeah And and both of those I thought were very very good and Jillian McAllister is wonderful. And I, I have kind of just connected with her online. Maybe it happened. It's actually happened probably a couple months ago. I have no concept of time right now because I had a baby a month ago. And so I'm ah, like yes. the last month. <laughs> it's been like a week long, basically. <laughs> but she's like, so kind and just messaged me. And oh. now we kind of talk every now and then and I love her so much. Um, but yeah, and I also think of the famous example of, um, oh, now I can't think of it. Defending Jacob. I love oh, yes. how that book, it wasn't a trial so much as the grand jury right. testimony, but I loved the way that he used that to kind of set up. Cause you're listening and you know, there's a murder trial, but what does that have to do with a grand jury trial where this other lawyer is getting questioned? And so yes. I kind of, I love that. It's just, it's a device that clearly has been done before, but I still love it. And so I think I'm probably going to be captivating (laughs) and and the tension does build so well. So what have you read recently that you want the world to know about? I think authors have some of the very best book recommendations. And so I have to ask you. Oh, okay. So two things. One is I'm actually reading Jillian's book that's coming out in July. Um, Oh, I'm so jealous. I know. I'm sorry. It's it's called that night. And I haven't read a ton of it because like I said, I have the newborn and I have it in paperback and I'm having a really hard time doing anything with my hands when I have her. And so it, I'm kind of crawling through it, which makes no sense because it is so suspenseful it. And it is basically, I'll, I'll just give you like the opening setup is, um, there are three siblings two sisters and a brother and one of the sisters and the brother have been called by, I think she's the younger sibling and she has hit someone with her car and he's dead and she wants them to come help her. And they kind of arrive at the scene and see that this man is dead and the accident happened a half hour ago and she hasn't done anything else. And so it's just this complete like disaster. And that is like the setup now. It's so good. No, when I saw it was like a sibling drama. I think that was how we got connected. She was like sibling drama. Like, hello. Yes. And I was like, I know who you are. Like, I can't believe you're messaging me, but okay. Um, and the book is so good, but I'm, I'm having such a hard time reading it just because of the baby. Um, you do audio. But, well, like, yeah, are you an so audiobook I, person? I am. And so that my next recommendation is an audiobook I'm listening to. It's just that I don't, I, maybe this book exists in audiobook actually, but what so I was saying I was get like, a lot of um, advanced copies as audio yeah. because I don't yeah. reprint. 
And so yeah. you wouldn't get them like as early as you get your print like arcs, but yeah. it might be really helpful. Um, you know, if like publishers sent you the audio arcs when they're available, um, because they're, yeah. Um, Julia from Penguin does a lot of the like audio, uh, sending out and she sends them out to, to people. So I, I would imagine, um, that you could ask her for an audio copy. And even if she doesn't have it now, um, I'm assuming she will, you know, soon. No, that's such a good idea. I think I'll do that because audiobooks are going great for me. It's just yes. the print books I'm, I'm struggling so hard with. <laughs> um, but the audiobook I'm listening to right now, and I'm really close to being done with it, and I'm loving it, is called um, The Nine Lives of Rose Napol- Napolitano. And um, it's by Donna Freitas. I might be. I've or, heard of this. Freitas. I've never read yeah, it. Yeah. So it's, um, it came out really recently, maybe in like April, I want to say it came out in April and, um, it's about a woman. So she and her husband, she has never wanted to have children. Her husband has never wanted to have children until suddenly he desperately wants to have children. Oh dear. And yeah. And so the book kind of opens with this big blowout fight that they have about how, he wanted that her to be open to it. She says, maybe she's open to it, but she's not even taking the prenatal vitamins. And she's finally saying, I really don't even want to do this. And I can't believe you're trying to make me do this. And the book then goes off on nine different paths, depending on how that conversation goes and kind of who gives and who like, even, I think it even like some of the chapters, it just depends on how, almost kindly they treat each other as they're having mm-hmm. a fight, you know? And so they, they span nine different lives then of, does he leave her? Does he stay with her, but resent her? Do they have the baby right. and how does she feel about that? And it's so good. And I even told Donna that I was listening to it while I'm like nursing my newborn. And she was like, how are you feeling about it? And I was like, no, I swear I'm loving it. <laughs> because I I wasn't I wasn't like this character you know so I'm really loving listening to it it's so good I highly recommend it and I'm really close books that kind of explore that like different um sort of like the the choice actually um by Jillian McAllister um since yeah we are talking about her but you know what happened talking about her (laughs) indeed you know, since like she has that book, like what happens if a crime is committed and you don't call the police versus if you do yeah. and you see that sort of unfolding like side by side. Yeah. Um, Claire McIntosh did a similar thing with After the End about a couple who has a terminally ill child and oh. the ways in which that plays out for them. Like, you know, do they try this like experimental treatment um you know do they not and just sort of how that how that happens so those are my sort of recommendations um for similar types of things yeah no that sounds great well sad but great (laughs) yes it was very sad but so so well done and very different from um claire's usual stuff because she usually writes like domestic suspense 
Yeah, but I was this say. was just so so well done. Oh my yeah, gosh! In fact, her new one, her new domestic suspense is out tomorrow. At least it is in terms of like when we're recording this. By the time people hear it, it will already be out. Oh, the hostage that wasn't really on my radar. So, oh, 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 yes, it was. I forgot that. It, yes, I've seen yes. it everywhere. Actually, yes, <laughs> I just forgot about it. Yes. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy mother and like just released <laughs> schedule um, and, you know, chatting with me today. And oh, I'm wondering awesome. if you can let listeners know the best place to find you online. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that my handles on Instagram and Twitter are Caitlin Ware. Um, and then, I, yeah, and I think... I have a Facebook page too. My Twitter and Facebook are pretty poorly neglected, but I do try to get on there. Um, and I think that my Facebook is also just Caitlin Ware. And it's just one of those like business pages where it's like an author page. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Yeah. That is wonderful. And I wish you the best of luck with your new book and your baby. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shannon. This was really You're fun. welcome. Okay, so we are here to talk about new books, and there are a bunch of them. August is a great month for new releases. I feel like every month is great, but August just had so, so many. So we are going to start out with some books that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated Books of August episode. So I'm starting out with a romance by Tiff Marcello. This is It Takes Heart. It's Heart Resort, book one, and this is a book that Stacy was very excited about. Then we turn to some women's fiction for the new Barbara O'Neill. This is Write My Name Across the Sky, and I love Barbara O'Neill so much. Sarah actually talked about this on our episode, but I love her. Stacy loves her. My partner, Christine, also really loves her. She just writes such excellent books. So that one is one that we are all looking forward to. And we have Cul-de-Sac by Joy Fielding which is her new thriller that Melissa talked about on our episode. And then we have one that I mentioned. This is Gone for Good. It's Annalisa Vega, book one by Joanna Schaffhausen. This is a police procedural uh, mystery, and I am super excited for it. So those are books that we've talked about before. And now we are going to move on to books that we haven't mentioned previously. I'm going to... Stick with the mystery thriller theme here for a bit. And we are going to start out with You Can Never Tell by Sarah Warburton. And this is a novel that examines the twisted side of suburbia. And you'll love this if you love books by Leanne Moriarty or Jocelyn Jackson. So it's You Can Never Tell and it's by Sarah Warburton. Robin Harding has a new book out this month, and this is The Perfect Family. Um, Robin Harding is an author that I really like. Brooke also really likes her. Um, And this one is 
about a family who has been pushed just like to the limit. In fact, maybe even beyond the limit. And so what happens when a seemingly normal family is, is pushed in such a way? If you want to know, you will have to read it. It is The Perfect Family and it's by Robin Harding. Then we have Such a Good Wife by Serafina Nova Glass. And this is an author whose debut novel, Someone's Listening, um, has been on my radar for a while. Um, I still have it. I just haven't read it. But that is kind of the story of my, my book life. But this one is her second novel, and I'm excited for it. It is Such a Good Wife by Serafina Nova Glass. And we have a new Avery Bishop book out this week as well. This is One Year Gone. And it takes kind of a, a well-done trope of, you know, a missing child. And we have a mother who will stop at nothing to find her missing child. So this is One Year Gone, and it's by Avery Bishop. Then we have The Night We Burn. This is by S.F. Kosa, and it is a story about a cult that somehow is involved in a fire and apparently whatever this cult is doing a lot of people don't really know about it and it resulted in this fire that has pretty far-reaching consequences so it is the night we burned and it's by sf kosa all right so let's talk now about some historical fiction. I am really excited about this first book I'm going to talk about in historical fiction. It is The Lights of Luna Park by Addison Armstrong. And I read an early copy of this and it was such a delight. It was very, very sad, but so, so excellently moving. Um, if you loved Before We Were Yours by Lisa Wingate, you will probably love this one. It is a dual timeline novel set in the 1920s and the 1940s, and it examines the first cases of babies being kept alive in incubators in Coney Island. So it is The Lights of Luna Park, and it's by Addison Armstrong. So then we have Yours Cheerfully. This is the second book in the Emmeline Lake Chronicles by A.J. Pierce. This is set in the late 1930s in London, and we kind of look at pre-war London. Um, the first book in this series was an epistolary novel that received quite a bit of positive buzz. So if you read that and loved it, then you might want to pick this one up as well. This is Yours Cheerfully, and it's Emmeline Lake, book two by A.J. Pierce. Then we have The Showgirl by Nicola Harrison. This is a 1920s set novel about the Siegfried Follies in New York City and about this young woman who travels to New York to make her fortune and ends up sort of finding much more than she bargained for. This is The Showgirl by Nicola Harrison. 
At Summer's End by Courtney Ellis is also set in the 1920s. It's a historical mystery about a woman who journeys to this sort of rundown English manor house. And she has some secrets. Apparently the people who own this house also have some secrets. And they will all be revealed as you read this. It's At Summer's End by Courtney Ellis. We have another dual timeline novel. This is Between Tides. It's by Angel Corey. And it is set in both the 1890s and the 1940s. Um, and it spans like a big part of the United States, like from Cape Cod to the Outer Banks. And it is compared to some of the like women's fiction novels that we all love in the summer, like Mary Alice Monroe. So this one is Between Tides, and it's by Angel Corey. We have a new novel by Jane Healy. I know that Mika is a big Jane Healy fan, and this is an author that I've wanted to read and just haven't done it. But this is The Ophelia Girls. And it is about a mother and daughter. I think this might also be a dual timeline novel. It talks about the past and the present colliding and sort of this mother and daughter having to come to terms with their differences in order to sort of solve this issue that is causing, you know, angst for them. But um, it has gotten very, very positive early reviews. It is The Ophelia Girls by Jane Healy. I'm going to talk now about some kind of like speculative fiction for lack of a better way to describe it. I'm starting out with She Wouldn't Change a Thing by Sarah Adlaka. And this is about a middle-aged woman who wakes up one morning and finds that she has somehow been transported back in time and she is now in the body of an earlier version of herself. This is She Wouldn't Change a Thing, and it's by Sarah Adlaka. Then we have A Shimmering State. This is by Meredith Westgate, and it is about two patients who are recovering after this really secret, kind of tricky experiment that has to do with a memory-altering drug. Um, it looks a little bit sci-fi-ish, kind of like Lakewood by Megan Giddings. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. It is A Shimmering State, and it is by Meredith Westgate. We then have The Other Me by Sarah Zakrich Jeng. And this is a book that I read an early copy of, and it is phenomenal. It is another sort of book that examines the idea of like, what if you could make different choices and change the way your life turns out? And this is a book about a woman who is sort of transported, again, a lot of people are transported, into like an alternate version of her life where instead of becoming an artist, she marries her high school sweetheart who is creepily involved with some sort of shady uh, internet like tech startup. So this is The Other Me, and it's by Sarah Zacharich Jang. We then have the new Kevin Hearn. Um, Kristen is a big Kevin Hearn fan here at Book Bistro, 
and he is releasing the second book in his Ink and Sigil series. This is Paper and Blood. Apparently, this is a spinoff um, from a series that he's pretty well known for, and it can stand on its own. So if you want to just start with Ink and Sigil, you can totally do that. But this is Paper and Blood, and it's Ink and Sigil, book two, by Kevin Hearn. We then have The King of Infinite Space by Lindsay Fay. And this kind of caught my attention because it is a modern and queer retelling of Hamlet. And there's been kind of a, a bunch of retellings of Shakespeare done in the past few years. And I'm really intrigued by the idea of Lindsay Fay writing one because she has done things like rewrite kind of a, a take on Jane Eyre where Jane Eyre is like a, a murderess, essentially. So I definitely want to check this one out. It is The King of Infinite Space, and it is by Lindsay Fay. And then last up is a contemporary YA novel. This is In the Wild Light. It is by Jeff Zentner. And Zentner wrote a book several years ago called Goodbye Days that I loved and my partner also really, really loves. So I'm really excited to see what this next book will be like. This is a novel that examines things like young love, grief, and found family. So this is one that I definitely plan to pick up as soon as possible. It is In the Wild Light, and it's by Jeff Zentner. And that, my friends, is all I have for you this week. I hope you are all staying safe and well, and of course, well-read. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.